From VinePair's New York City headquarters, I'm Adam Teeter. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Trabal. And this is the VinePair Podcast. Zach, I still can't believe I'm back. It's crazy. I know. <laughs> You're like, you've yeah, had a whole weekend to kind of feel like you've stepped back in. Okay, I, I, we didn't really go into this on Friday because, yeah. you know, we had a big topic to get into. Yeah. And, and Mondays where we do a little more of the, like, catching up thing. But I want to know, like, what has been the biggest surprise for you about becoming a dad? Biggest surprise? Yeah. It's going to get cheesy, man. I can't know. Okay. No, it's uh, too, it cuts too much against the persona. No, I mean, I think one, I knew that I would really like it, but how much I love it. And I think the other thing that people have told me as well, I, I, said for, I mentioned a little bit on Friday, but that like, I do, I'm, I wasn't one of those people, and I don't think Naomi is either. It's like, I now have to be at home with you 24-7. But it actually... What surprised me is how much more amazing it makes it when you come home. Mm-hmm. Like the, the separation, how excited you are to see them, and uh, how much you know she changes every day is really cool. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and I want to be conscious because you know Tim was like, "Don't make this a parenting podcast," so we won't. But um, yeah, it's it's been it's been just this really amazing journey. The other thing that everybody has said, including you, and Naomi said the exact same thing to me last night is. I don't think you can understand until you are like sleep deprived <laughs> and doing all this stuff how much a glass of something when they are to bed is the biggest fucking reward you've ever had in your life. Yep. And it honestly tastes like some of the first times you drank. It's yeah. so weird how much that becomes a huge reward. And that's again, and so parenting, folks. For all these articles you're reading about right now, the war on alcohol is alcohol that is nah, man. Because as long as there is parenting, <laughs> there will always be alcohol. God, yeah. Okay, well, you, okay, you, you set it up so nicely. So, what have you been drinking? Uh, okay, so we we've had some uh, really great visitors come by. So, a few things that I and I've been sent some really amazing things. So, first of all, the lovely Jay Vineyards team uh, sent. Some delicious Jay Vineyards vintage rose, sparkling rose. Nice. Uh, because Estee's middle name is Rose, yep. which I thought was really great. So shout out to them. Also, got from my buddy Neil from Tip Top his new martinis, which you put in the Ooh. freezer, which have been really delicious. Uh, had some Limone, and the Limone team sent a onesie for Estee that I put oh. on her earlier this week, last week. And so my parents came to visit, and we had a bottle of Hirsch during Passover. Cool. So that was fun. And Josh has been over a bunch. Uh, and so we've opened – it's been, like, a time to, like, open fun stuff. Yeah. Uh, so we had, like, a really fun bottle of Grower Champagne. I can't even remember which one now that has been in my, my wine fridge for a long time. It's kind of, like, all blurring together. We opened a bottle of, like, really old Barbersville that I mm. – from like when Naomi and I went like on like our first wedding anniversary or something, which was really cool. We had a really cool bottle of Chianti that we bought when we were in Tuscany. I can't remember the producer now. He's like a, a producer that hasn't even sold really in the U.S. Um, when we were in Chianti this summer when Naomi when we first learned that Naomi was pregnant finally. Um, so a bunch of stuff like that, which has been a lot of fun. Uh, I made Tommy's margaritas one afternoon, and actually Josh had come over on a Friday. And we went out in the park and met up with my cousins who live in Brooklyn as well. And uh, we all drank Tommy's margaritas in the park while we, like, pushed Essie around the stroller. So, so fun stuff. Been, it's been nice. Nothing, like, aggressive yet. Because um, the other thing that everyone says is you never want a parent with a hangover. So 
I've tried to avoid that so far. Um, but it is, you know, I've, I've drank a lot more brown spirits than I thought I would. Because, again, like you said, it's you, you've said before, there's something about that, like, end of the night. Like, once you put them to bed, and you know you're going to see them again, especially when they're a baby, because you're going to get up multiple times. Because Nami and I are also, like, feeding at the same time right now, which, okay. you know, I'm really, I'm just there for moral support. But she's doing sure. way more than me. But, like, once we put her down, like, after, like, around the dinner time hour... Yeah. It's I like I just want like one glass of really nice bourbon. And so I've I've you know dug into some bottles that I had been like saving. So like ma- I have a bottle of Master's Keep nice. that I opened that was delicious. Um some Old Fitzgerald which is uh from Heaven Hill which I really love which is like their their super premium which has been amazing. Um uh I also I have always been a fan of the Mortlux, the the scotches. So I have some Mortlux twenty that was gifted to me that I had a little bit of. I have a Talisker twenty five. I had a little of. So things like that. That's probably going to stop. I'm going to stop drinking all the nice stuff. Like save it. But that that's what that's what I've been up to. So yeah. What well, about you, Zach? Well, you know, a couple of things. So one, following up on something I discussed with Tim last week, I tried to make or I did make a white Negroni with the Singani. Uh, that he and I discussed, oh. and I was uh, as as I suspected, it it was quite tasty. I, I think you know for those of you who listened to that episode, you know, we talked a little bit about how that might work and speculated because neither of us had tried it at the time. But I do think that um, it makes a really good match. You get a lot of the aromatics of the Singani coming through in that cocktail, which I thought was really good. So I could see myself doing that uh, with some regularity when I want a white Negroni as opposed to going to gin. Not that making it with gin is at all bad. That's also tasty. And then on the wine front, a couple things uh, like you, some Passover wine, uh, opened a bottle of 09 Poggio Cante Brunello de Montalcino, one of my favorite styles of wine, as well as a magnum of 2013 Andrew Will, uh, it's like a Merlot Cab Franc blend from the Shampoo Vineyard here in Washington. Uh, always like to take that opportunity to open a large bottle of wine because you're going to have a few glasses each person. So it kind of guarantees that you're going to get through that bottle, which sometimes is trickier unless you have a larger gathering. Uh, but actually the standouts for me were a couple of nights in a row where Caitlin and I had roast chicken and I opened some bottles of Chardonnay, both from the West Coast, one from Ridge down in the Santa Cruz Mountains and one from Quailsgate up in British Columbia, and both 2014s, and really both beautiful, just like at a wonderful point to drink. I love Chardonnay with, a you know, about a decade's worth of age on it in general, and really different. I mean, similar in certain ways. Obviously, they're both, you know, sort of Chardonnays made in a style that does incorporate some oak and, you know, isn't that kind of very lean, racy style, but a little bit richer style. But the, the Ridge has this, you know, kind of texture and... Um, weight to it that comes not from oak but just from the altitude and the sort of intensity of the of the wine and i think you know you probably get thicker skins in in the whites as well just from that um you know kind of high elevation grape growing and then in the quailsgate from uh the okanagan valley you have this kind of bright acidity that underlies this ripe fruit that just comes from being very far north and getting these big temperature swings uh from day to night and all that so a couple of really nice bottles that i enjoyed and and are both you know just kind of great fits with roast chicken, which has become over the years as a parent, one of my favorite meals to make because the kids will eat it. Uh, Caitlin and I like it and it mm-hmm. doesn't take that much active cooking, which becomes more important when you have children to chase around as you will find. So, yeah, you know what else? I, I mean, I've always been a huge fan of them. You, you can't get it all over the country, but uh, Ipsa provisions, they're like mm-hmm. a frozen food startup. And uh, 
they I we've been doing a lot of that where like sure. they you know they have really incredible like lasagna or uh, polenta with mushrooms and nebbiolo yep. and like whatever it's just and then yes I've been making lots of I made a roast chicken because um, yeah, you're right it's like it's pa- active for just a bit and then mm-hmm. walk away and then back yep. to active also I find that the dishes where like you like you don't have to eat them right away yes. Yeah, I've, I've learned that too. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about uh, something I love to talk about, which is me, uh, but not <laughs> – The before <laughs> times. Uh, yeah, so I – you know, for those of you that also read the site, I write a lot less uh, than I used to. Um, but I like to try to write a few features every single uh, year still. And a feature that we published that has gotten a lot of reaction uh, in, the, uh, in the past month – actually, we published it right before I went out because – oops, SD came early, uh, is a piece about nightlife in Napa and whether or not that is what's holding it back. Um, and among the next, among this younger generation. And, you know, Zach, we talked a little bit about the service in Napa that I had on a most more recent trip. But one of the other things, the thing that actually struck me the, the most, and it was because I had had a, a very different experience in another, I guess you would call it, drinking town, uh, only a few weeks prior is how dead of a scene Napa's nightlife is. Mm-hmm. And it made me really question it. And when I talk about Napa's nightlife, I mean the entire valley, right? Yeah. I don't just mean the town of Napa. I say the town of Napa probably has the most going on yeah. when it comes to nightlife. But how really dead it is. And when you talk to the demographics we talk to, including, you know, our younger Gen Z demographics, when they travel for drinks, especially, they are looking to go out at night. Yep. And it struck me that one of the things I think that continues to probably make Napa seem like a very, you know, boring, fogey-esque place for a lot of consumers is the fact that there really isn't much of a nightlife there. Like, yeah. the the prime reservation in Napa seems to be, like, 5.30 or 6 p.m. Yeah. Which, I guess, if you were, like, tasting wine all day, you don't want to go back to the hotel. You just roll to the restaurant. But, like, for the majority of consumers who, like, want to taste some wine, but then go back to the hotel, freshen up, go get a drink, then go out. Like, I think that's a real problem. And so the town that I compare this to in the article is Louisville, Kentucky. And... I understand that Louisville is also an independent commerce city with, you know, UPS's biggest hub and lots of insurance companies headquartered there and lots of other stuff that keeps the town running than just bourbon. But when it comes to tourism, the only reason people are going to Louisville is for bourbon. And there is they have had a huge huge rise in the amount of tourists they're building tons of hotels in the city so many bars and restaurants are open it's it's a boom time in louisville and part of the thing that i think makes louisville really interesting is that people go tasting all day too right Mm -hmm. they go from distillery to distillery distillery i think also what makes (laughs) the bourbon trail somewhat unsafe is how far the distilleries are from each other and some people are not using designated drivers but then they're all coming back to louisville at night because it's it's a great base it's either that really or lexington if you want a a city that's a decent base and i would say and lexington by the way is very similar in its nightlife and then there is tons of shit to do at night tons and that i think makes louisville a really attractive destination for a younger consumer who wants to go and you know 
taste bourbon during the day, but then at night gets to go and have a nice, you know, a nice meal and then hit some bars, go hear live music, like do these things. And so I, I really think that like for as much as we talked about, you know, is Napa's appeal I mean, sorry, loss of appeal amongst the younger generation that it's too expensive. Well, yes, for sure. That, you know, it's only for one kind of consumer. Yeah, for sure. But I think the thing that no one has talked about for, you know, ever is that also it just kind of sucks at night. Totally. (laughs) Like, it just does. It's not fun to go out in Napa. And I would argue that a lot of the restaurants are not that fun. And I think that that is why... Napa will continue to have issues with a younger consumer because it's not Miami. Like it's not yeah. New York. It's it's and I get that there are things that that make that special, but like it just is kind of sleepy. Yeah. And sleepiness is not what people think of when they think of going on vacation amongst a certain demographic of people. For sure. Well, I think there's a couple of things here. One of them is that it's unclear to me who kind of set it in stone that every tasting room everywhere on the planet that that's a winery tasting room has to be open from like 11 to five. Yep. It seems odd to me that there aren't more wineries that, and maybe there are some that are open till six or whatever, but like, if you think about it from a very simple standpoint, when do people generally drink wine in, in their life? It ain't at 11 AM. I mean, some people do good on you, I guess, but most people think of wine as an afternoon evening kind of thing and so you have this first piece of it which is the biggest part of the tourist draw in napa the tasting rooms are built around this calendar that like i guess makes sense from a like nine to five job title kind of standpoint but given that these are hospitality jobs fundamentally it is odd that they are so geared around that schedule i mean i found it strange whenever i'm visiting napa or other places that like you know i don't really want to get my day started with cabernet sauvignon at 11 a.m to fit in three or four winery visits. And obviously people do that. Some people, that's the hallmark of being on vacation is doing something at a, a, a time of day that you never would otherwise. Yeah. But I do think that, so I should say, that I think the nightlife piece is built out of this, you know, one part kind of just, I don't know, the the what's become a sort of calcified model for the way wine tasting works and maybe some vague concession to the fact that it is an agricultural practice and so mm-hmm. therefore like you kind of operate on the agricultural calendar or or clock i guess so like when it's dark no one does anything yeah but that seems silly to me given how much money is at stake now i mean you're going into a tasting room and paying you know 200 dollars for a tasting experience that includes like a highly designed meal with it like we could drop the pretense that you're there about the farming like let's fucking stop yeah. kidding ourselves the other piece of it is, is, I think, you know, it, it is, you did mention this, of course, in your piece, which I think is really relevant, is that the, one of the problems for Napa is even places that might be inclined to try and be open have a real challenge keeping staff because mm-hmm. no one can afford to live in Napa who works a service job in Napa. They live in the Bay Area or other places, you know, far away, and they don't want to drive home at 2 a.m., 3 a.m. every night. Like, that's a really, I mean, you know, maybe with enough pay, but like these jobs aren't paying so much money that people are willing to live that life. If they want to be, if they're the kind of person who's like, I will work late nights at a service job, they're going to probably want to be bartending in San Francisco or Oakland. They're not going to want to be serving people, you know, wine at 10 PM or, or, you know, 
helping a nightclub stay open until midnight. Like there is a, that real inescapable problem that I think cities have a, just an easier time getting around because people can live more closely. There's more going on. You're not kind of stuck on a dark quasi rural road for an hour getting home. I think that Napa doesn't know what it wants to be. Mm -hmm. I think Napa has to decide, like, does it want to be an agricultural region? Okay. Then why do you have insanely expensive hotels and three Michelin star restaurants and tasting rooms that cost hundreds of dollars, hundreds of dollars? Because there are agricultural areas where I've gone to to have wine where I I totally get it because nothing's open because there's nothing, you know, those those kinds of restaurants don't exist. But you know that there's, you know, good wine wine to be found. Um, I think of like especially, you know, as you know, I'm pretty big on Virginia. Like there's there's parts of Virginia that are up and coming that have really great wine uh, wineries where like you know you're going to go back to the inn you're staying at or whatever at like seven or eight o'clock at night and you're not going to find many great restaurants. Uh, you might go to like a local spot and you're going to go to bed. Or is Napa a a drinking destination, which means you are you know attracting all ages of drinkers? Or and this is the one that I think Napa has decided at least right now it is. Are you a retirement community? <laughs> and if you are, and, and because when I started researching the piece and really talking to people and looking at average income and cost of living, et cetera, a lot of the, especially new communities in Napa, are marketing to retirees. They are, you know, in the same way that spots in Florida are. And, right, every, everyone understands that, like, the nightlife capital of Florida is Miami, and then everything around it is for people who are you know over the age of 65 and that's fine because there's there's that there's a city in florida that says they want to be you know known for nightlife and same exists in other places right i think but i think for napa the the attraction of of the money that people have to live amongst the vines in their in towards the end of their years the end of their journey if you will is is too good of a thing to pass up but when you have that, that that demographic wants the early bird special. Mm-hmm. And, like, they're also not demanding these other things. But the problem is, like, how many of us really went to the communities that often where our grandparents lived or live? Yeah. Like, and we're like, yo, let's go have a great night out. Yeah, we don't. Like, we no. – and. And so, like, it doesn't. It becomes a destination you go to see. Like for me, Bubby and Grandpa, or Nana and Pop Pop, or what you know, Yaya, whoever your your grandparent is, Grandma, you know. Yeah, and I that's think your non Yiddish uh, did you know name for grandparent? Exactly. Whatever you'd like. <laughs> but like, you, Napo also wants to be known as this like great destination, this luxury destination. I, I I don't think you can have a luxury destination without vibrant nightlife. Yeah. And they don't have it. And the only place I think that Napa even has that comes close to it is Cadet. Yeah. And Cadet is arguably fucking awesome. But I enjoy it, it. I love Cadet. But it also closes early-ish, or at least doesn't close early-ish. That's not fair for me to say. They, they try to stay open late, but like it just kind of dies because they're also the only show in town, really. Yeah. Or you have like this one dive bar that's <laughs> like in downtown Napa that you, if you really wanted to drink. But like, again, that's not what people are looking for. Like, you need more Cadets. Yeah. You need more places like that. I also wonder if, like, because Napa is – the people who live full-time in Napa are so loyal to each other. Like, no one wants to compete with Cadet and do something that's similar, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, you can't – but, like, you kind of need that. Or you need a Cadet also in St. Helena. You need a Cadet also in Calistoga. Like, those places don't exist. Well, and I think that's an important point to note, too, which is that for people who haven't maybe spent much time or any time in Napa – 
it's easy to forget that the valley itself is quite large. I mean, it's yes. not really large in the sense of a, a wine region, but but from the north to the south end is, is a good distance. There's one main, well, two, but really one main road that goes through it. So it's not super easy to traverse. And if you don't stay in Napa, the city, then Cadet is kind of inaccessible. I mean, as you mentioned in your piece, ride shares and things like that are few and far between, especially in the at night. And so if you are not staying in downtown Napa, Cadet might as well not exist. Like it's not, yeah. it's not easy to do that. And not everyone wants to stay in downtown Napa. It's not always the most convenient, depending on what kind of wine tourism you're looking to do. And many of the great wineries that people are looking to visit are a fair bit north of there. And so yeah. it, it is, it is a problem. I mean, I think so much of this is really driven out of the fact that like, you know, Napa, you know, whether it's the the housing shortage or just all these things, is, is driven out of the fact that like Napa obviously has this incredibly tortured relationship with its own growth and its own success. Yes. And on the one hand, is very happy to just, you know, kind of keep raising the prices of everything for the tastings to get more and more expensive, for the meals to get more and more expensive, all those things, and to welcome in more and more tourists. And yet, not really work to do anything to provide any of the infrastructure that would allow some of these other kinds of businesses that might well be successful. Because even though I agree with you that a core constituency for Napa Valley wine tourism are people who are older who may not be interested in late night dining or drinking, I am always surprised to some extent when I go to Napa, especially when I'm in the city itself. There are lots of people of all different ages there. Some of them are there maybe with their parents or whatever, but there are people in their 20s and 30s there too. And those people would presumably enjoy other things to do than just, you know, retire to bed at 9 p.m. Yep. And, you know, that's – and again, as as I think you mentioned in your piece, and as certainly we know is true, it's not as if the kind of person who – on their own is like, I want to go to Napa Valley for my vacation. Those people have money to spend and they would like to spend it. And yes, they will spend it on the, you know, elaborate tasting experiences and joining wine clubs and fancy meals, but they might also want to spend it at after 9 PM. And yet, Mm -hmm. you know, as you said, outside of a couple of notable exceptions, which are notable because they are exceptions, there are very few opportunities for people. And it just seems incomplete as a region that is so, in, in so many other ways, so well, I don't know if designed is the right word, but has evolved to be so effective at separating people from their money. I mean, it's like, I think of it sometimes this way. You, you think of a retirement community. I think of Napa Valley as being weirdly analogous to Las Vegas. Like, yeah. it is a place that people aspire to visit that has a very different kind of image, but but yet one of a place where you are going to be in some cases, very gently, very gracefully separated from a lot of your money. But Las Vegas would never be so fucking stupid as to not have you able to lose your money in one way or another 24 hours a day. And I'm not saying that Napa has to have 24-hour tasting rooms for one thing. That's probably against the law. But also, there should be more options for people than fucking McDonald's after 9 p.m. I agree. And look, to say in closing, the the, the key difference I found in both if I wasn't a professional, is when I have been to Napa, I've had some really amazing wine experiences, but I've never thought, oh my God, I think a lot of people would, would, won't think as well, oh my God, I had the most fun time ever. Whereas, and I can't wait to come back. I think a lot of people say to themselves, okay, I did Napa, been there, done that, experienced it, did it, don't need to do it again. Whereas I really think with Louisville, people are like, I definitely would come back. Yeah, And that is because I think you see this town 
indifference that is investing in all of the things it needs to be a top entertainment destination. Mm -hmm. And Napa right now isn't. It's a place that makes really, you know, expensive fine wine. It is America's fine wine growing region, Mm -hmm. but it is not yet America's fine wine entertainment destination. Interesting. Well, Zach, it's been fun. I'll talk to you Friday, man. And uh, for those of you that uh, have thoughts as well, hit us up, podcast.vinepair.com. Love to know what you think. If you totally disagree with me, that's cool. Let me know. And yeah, we'll see you back here on Friday. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast, the flagship podcast of the Vine Pair Podcast Network. If you love listening to this show, or even if you don't, but I really hope that you do, as much as we really do love making it, then please drop us a review or a rating wherever it is that you get your podcast, whether that be iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere. If you are listening to this on a device right now through an app, however you got this audio, please drop a review. It really helps everyone else discover the show. And now for some totally awesome credits. So... The Vine Pair Podcast is recorded in our New York City headquarters and in Seattle, Washington, in Zach Chabal's basement. It is recorded by Zach, mastered, and produced by Zach. He loves all the credit. Keep giving it to him. Drop his name in the reviews. He's going to love hearing how much you love him. It is also recorded in New York City by our tastings director, Keith Beavers, who is the managing director of the entire Vine Pair Podcast Network. I'd also love to give a shout out to our editor-in-chief, Joanna Sherino, who joins us on every single podcast as our third and most important host. Thank you as well to the entire VinePair staff and everyone who's been involved in making VinePair as special as it's become. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.